to the Medical Republic podcast. I'm Talia My Roberts Katz, the TMR webinar producer. And last week, we were lucky enough to be joined by two leading business advisors in general practice on our live JobKeeper Q&A. We had so much engagement from our live audience that we've decided to invite our two panelists back. They're coming on the show today to answer some of your questions that they didn't manage to get to during the live event, even though we went massively over time. David Dahm and Nick Solakis are advisors at Health and Life, an Adelaide-based practice consulting business. Hi, David and Nick. Welcome to the show. Hi, Talia. Hi, Talia. How are you doing? Oh, by the way, we do operate nationally. We just happen to be based in Adelaide, but we have clients all around the nation. So we have been fielding queries from everywhere. Um, yeah, so we got way more questions than we expected. Looks like people are super confused about JobKeeper. Um, So what I'm going to do today is run through some of those questions with you both. And firstly, we had lots of questions about what counts as a source of income. And knowing your sources of income is quite important if you need to calculate your revenue loss as a business. So there was one question about income from property and rent if you're a service discretionary trust. And another one about whether PIP income is included in turnover tests. Are these counted as sources of income for the purposes of JobKeeper? Okay. Um, well, look, the, the first one about the property rental income, um, if you are a, a sole trader and you have an ABN and, you know, you are also, you know, banking your medical fee-for-service income, your Medicare income in, into that same bank account, and then you're also getting property rental income where you're charging GST on and banking that to that income into that account, then yes, technically it could be argued, yes, that is part of your GST turnover and that will actually be included uh, for calculation purposes. So yes, the answer to that question about property rental income is yes, it would be included. Uh, just a, a bit of a quick side issue. Uh, we generally don't recommend our clients for asset protection reasons uh, to be holding you know, investment properties you know, from a malpractice and insurance point of view, because sometimes malpractice insurance doesn't cover you to be holding those sorts of assets in your own name. It's good to get some additional advice, uh, like what we're going to be talking about today, to get some professional independent advice on those sorts of things. Um, and you know, you might have a better result um, had that been separated from the outset. Okay, interesting. So another one here, someone asked us how they would calculate downturn if their doctor's billings were recorded in zero by the practice company. So I'm not really sure what the issue is here. So could you shed some light on that? Okay, I'll let Nick probably address that particular question because I know he answered that beforehand so um, at the webinar. Go for it Nick. Uh, Yes so it would all depend on how you recognise income through your practice company. If you are receiving the billings through the practice company it is the revenue of the practice company that's accessible uh, as far as reviewing your GST turnover. Okay, and I guess what we're actually talking about is the revenue. A lot of people are getting confused with management fees and stuff like that. This is just the gross income that you build patients. That is what you're counting as your revenue uh, if you're running what is called a medical practice company where it is in the business where you're issuing a tax invoice on that tax invoice, you have the company's ABN where you're billing the patient for that medical clinical service directly to the patient. Um, I know a lot of the doctors out there are asking about PIP income as well. Um, do you want to elaborate on that? Um, yeah, sure. Look, look, PIP income is excluded um, and also any other types of what are called conditional grants um, are actually excluded uh, because they aren't considered 
part of GST turnover. I know that can be confusing for some because you put it on your VAS and you think, well, hang on, if it's part of the VAS, it must be included. But there is actually a, speci um, a, a particular technical provision um, with the calculation of JobKeeper turnover that specifically excludes um, these types of conditional grants um, from your actual calculation. So that's a bit of a pleasant surprise to many um, who have been getting what are called lump sum quarterly payments and thinking they aren't an eligible, they aren't eligible when they actually are. And that's what we've had found with, some, with a number of clients. Okay, yeah. So we actually did have another question on that note, uh, which said, we didn't qualify for March or April, but in May, we believe our revenue will drop by 30%. However, we have a big payment from PIP in May, double from last year. Do we qualify? Well, that that would be a classic example. Yep. From what information they've given us, obviously we need more details, but it looks like they've got a good chance of qualifying once they exclude those numbers from their calculations and they can show that their fee-for-service income revenue has fallen um, or their management fee that's generally based on the percentage of turnover of a, you know, a, of a, sole trader has fallen, yes, they're in with a good chance. And we really strongly advise them to get their application now before the 31st of May, because it can be retrospectively applied. And um, and that won't happen after the 31st of May. So you need to get onto your accountant now um, and, and make sure you get that application in before the end of May. Um, great. So another thing that doctors or practices have to do to apply for JobKeeper is compare their 2020 revenue against how much they made last year. So one doctor wanted to know, if you're going by quarterly figures, do you compare 2020 revenue against the same time last year or with the previous quarter? Also, when do you submit this claim? Is it at the end of the quarter? Uh, so when you're applying the basic test, you'll be comparing your 2020 revenue to your 2019 revenue for the same period. So if you're using the May month, uh, 2020, or the April month, you'll be comparing it to the previous year under the basic test. Uh, one of the other things that's a bit confusing at the moment is the uh, monthly claims. So it is a requirement that you do continue to lodge monthly uh, to confirm the eligibility of your employees, business participants, and also report your turnover amounts. So this uh, claim is submitted on a monthly basis, regardless if uh, you're a quarterly lodger or a monthly lodger. It's an entirely um, separate claim that must be uh, lodged for you to be able to receive the payment. Okay, that's good to know. And here's another one. So GPs often work as contractors with an ABN, but they aren't always working full time. And one doctor wanted to know how to figure out if they're eligible for JobKeeper if they took a substantial period of leave in April and June last year. Can they test their eligibility by comparing their projected June 2020 income with three times their May 2019 income? There is an uh, alternative test if you do find that um, a sole trader has been on leave or uh, sickness or ill health during a test period. So... Effectively, what would happen is if you have taken off uh, that period through to June, you would use the first month that you've returned to work for a full period as your test month. So in this case, it looks like it would be the July month of 19 would then become your test month. Okay. And I guess just to sort of clarify there, um, you know, what they're really saying is um, you are trying to show there has been actually a 
um, um, a decline. And because you've had this break in your normal work, you were trying to show that your average income has dropped. And had you not been off sick, um, you would have had been, it would, you'd been a far stronger position to demonstrate there's been a decline. So if in the relevant comparison period, let's say it's a quarter, so you can do monthly or quarterly, um, your entity, if you're the sole trader, you know, you, you, it, the entity multiplies the current GST turnover for the month immediately after the month in which the sole trader um, or partner, you could be in a partnership, returned to work um, by three and uses that figure. So the whole idea is, is that, you know, you can take um, the amount of income that you normally would have earned had you not been sick. And the, the rules um, are broad enough to allow you to make you eligible if you can establish that, you know, your income has dropped quite significantly. Wow, it's quite technical, isn't it? Very. And I think a key problem here is even with the alternative testing, once you meet one of those requirements, there are different tests that do apply. Um, in particular, the monthly comparison. So as Dave mentioned, you know, you're comparing that month, whereas if you're using a quarterly comparison, you then have to take that same month, multiply that by three to compare against your quarter that you're projecting. So uh, depending on what requirements you meet to be eligible, you then have to apply a, a, a separate test. Can I just probably, for the listeners, um, put this into context? Um, these questions are, can be very technical. And it, once you are lodging something, uh, there's a lot of anxiety that, look, I don't want to say or do the wrong thing and let alone be accused of, you know, tax fraud for the one of a better word. And, and I know that the tax office is very keen to look at people's calculations and assumptions. If you're not sure that's okay, just go to your accountant. Look, even if you paid, you know, even $1,000, the, the JobKeeper payment is quite significant you know when you're talking about getting fifteen thousand dollars sorry fifteen hundred dollars you know a fortnight back you know until september that it more than pays to go and get some professional advice and, and not try and do this at home and you know we call it do it yourself um, particularly if you're not sure um, that's why professionals are there to do it these rules keep changing the interpretations can be different from time to time if you show that you've gone to a you know a qualified registered tax agent um, that gives you that protection and that peace of mind and you've got to look at not the cost but the opportunity cost the, the opportunity of lost income i think we've said in the last webinar there that you know if if you are quick off the mark with your JobKeeper applications and, you know, you got picked up, you know, from you know, March, April onwards, you know, each employee was generating an extra $19,000 to the practice, you know, to September. Um, at the moment, it's now, you know, 15500 if you apply before the end of this month. So there's significant income opportunities that are available to keep your doors open. Um, don't mess around. Don't hesitate. You're running out of time. 31st of May is just around the corner. There are a number of accountants who either don't have the time because they're trying to save their own mums and dads' cafes who are going to liquidation, so be mindful of that. Um, and they haven't been able to keep up to date. Um, and, uh, or, you know, you, we've had people say to us, we've had to go and get our accountants to, to sign off and they were very nervous because they're more worried about getting into trouble, not knowing the rules, and they will not even advise them that, you know, we've actually had to help that particular uh, practice and say, well, look, here are the arguments you put, and they, that tax agent did finally sign off. So you do have to be fairly proactive on this issue, even if you don't know. It's more about pushing and getting them to ask the right questions with the right arguments to build your, your argument um, to, you know, and, and it's worth a lot to you in the long run. So 
we advise everybody to really seriously this weekend, if you know, if you if, if you've got the weekend free, to, to make this a high priority. Yep. So obviously we did the webinar and I know that you have been completely inundated with people asking you questions. So is that the the main advice you would give people is just do it. Don't panic too much. Don't hesitate. Yeah, I'd say go listen to that webinar. Um, There's very good and detailed um, notes on what to do. And if you don't know, that's fine. Give it to somebody who has the time and the interest and inclination. That could be your own advisor to do it. Um, But to do nothing would be silly even if you don't think you qualify i think you owe it to yourself to give it a go and um, that webinar is a very comprehensive starting point um, to uh, get you asking the right questions of your advisors and you only need one thing to make you qualify that revenue drop or having a good assumption to show you know um, you know we had to introduce you know personal protective equipment and therefore we believe the income is going to drop even though you might feel you know you're only at 29% drop and not the full 30% but if you've got a good reason um, you can say for example well we've had to you know um, you know that there are less patients coming because people are afraid to come back these are very good valid reasons keep notes um, even the notes that we've given and and the material that's been published publicly are very very important ways of substantiating that you made a valid claim at the time and even if your income went up they won't penalize you if you've gone through these steps of not only internal validation of your numbers but external validation of your numbers and assumptions so i, I think you know, it should be the number one priority for every practice to look at this issue um, closely um, and carefully, um, uh, and in particularly with their advisors if they want to, dare I say, eat well and sleep well on this issue. You owe it to yourself. I think that's a great advice for everyone. And um, just to go back to some of our questions, another doctor was wondering if they can apply for JobKeeper if they are the trust beneficiary for a GP practice that's lost at least 25 to 30% revenue, but their salary isn't processed until the end of the year. What do they do? So this uh, scenario sounds like uh, what they're actually receiving is trust distributions rather than a salary. Uh, In this circumstance, if the GP is a named beneficiary of the trust, then they could uh, enroll as a business participant However, if that trust is owned by another trust, not a named beneficiary, uh, this that will cause issues because they won't be able to register as eligible business participant. So you have to be a named uh, beneficiary or a shareholder of a company uh, to be able to get that uh, business participant payment. Okay, right. Anything to add, David? Yeah, no, look, I think um, it's a really good question. Um, it, it really, the key is, is if your practice is owned by a discretionary trust where you are, you know, directly a beneficiary of that family trust. And we do see that set up um, from time to time, then yes, you are eligible. um, And yeah, you should go and apply and you should be getting payments uh, being an eligible participant. Um, There is one other thing I wanted to add. And there was questions about, you know, my my wife and my children, um, you know, would they, would they be eligible? Well, the answer is yes, they would be eligible. Um, but you've got to make sure that they were, you know, working for you legitimately, you know, from the 1st of March and that you're not adding um, 
family members uh, just to qualify for the JobKeeper payment, um, the tax office is very well aware of those sorts of arrangements and that will instantly attract um, an audit and probably penalties uh, because you're seen to be gaming the system. So just don't game the system, be honest um, in your approach. Um, and there's a lot of legitimate ways to, to get these benefits. Um, and, you know, once again, get independent professional advice on that if you're not sure. So one doctor asked during the webinar, I'm paid hourly, but will finish in June. So my income will drop. Can I apply in advance? Uh, so an hourly pay sounds like he um, possibly could be an employee. Um, however, if he is a sole trader practicing under his own ABN, the only way that you can become eligible for past months is by meeting the eligibility requirements for those specific months. If he does find in Jan uh, July that his income drops, he would become eligible in July, but you can't backdate your um, eligibility assessment. You can only look at it from the perspective of, so for the April period, it's May to April or the June quarter. So if he doesn't see that um, income drop by the 1st of July, then no. Uh, and the the enrolments do close on the 31st of May for the April and May periods. I do want to add some concern with this question because it does sound like an employee. Um, and there are rules under fair work of sham contracting. Um, if you if you are an employee, then you really, it's only your employer that can sort of imply for the JobKeeper payment and they pay you. Um, and, and I think that is really, really important that you are quite clear about your contractual arrangements. Are you an employee? Are you truly a contractor? It's very rare to see an hourly rate. So we don't sure if this was actually a registrar asking the question. And if it is a registrar, well then obviously this JobKeeper arrangement, um, they need to go through their employer as long as their employer is an eligible employer in order to you know receive that payment, but via the employer, not direct um, you know, to, you know, to this particular doctor um, for that reason. So we just want to be clear, like I said, I have said it before, um, once you start submitting this sort of information to the tax office, you know, you could find yourself inadvertently having to have some more please explain questions um, and, and, and being very clear about your employment or your contract arrangements is very, very important because it's a bit hard to unsay or undo it once it's been lodged. Yes, I believe that was one of the main takeaways from the webinars. Be careful what information you give and be clear on what you are. Absolutely. Okay, so one more question. When is the next JobKeeper repayment due to be paid and ongoing repayments from the ATO? Okay, so each monthly declaration is due on the month after the JobKeeper payments have been made. So if you're claiming for May, it's due in early June. As soon as that uh, claim has been made, on average, it's five business days for the payments to come through. Uh, obviously, if there's some issues such as bank details that have been incorrectly entered or if the ATO has queries, there can be some holdup. But uh, in a majority of the cases, we're seeing within five business days after making their monthly declaration, uh, clients are receiving JobKeeper payments. And so, Nick, just to clarify, monthly declaration means you have to go to your ATO business portal. Within seven days, you have to report what your turnover is and using the same basis that you use to calculate whether you're eligible or not is what you need to report. So your bookkeeping has to be absolutely tight 
Um, so if you've used the cash basis for the calculation, then you use the cash basis for reporting each month to be eligible. Um, and also your assumptions, you need to be clear on your assumptions. Now, it's not like you're actually having to submit that sort of detail, but you need to actually keep notes. And if your assumptions do change, that's fine. You only have to be eligible once, but you just need to keep documentation. It's a bit like a Medicare audit. You need to actually document your thought processes um, uh, every month on exactly how that works. It's, it might sound like a bit of a pain, but the reality is it's still well, well worth it, given the sums that are involved. And as soon as you've got that, you can have peace of mind that if you're asked a question, if you can instantly produce it, you know, chances are it won't go any further than that. And I think that's a common thing we're seeing, David, where clients are assuming that because you're reporting monthly, it's a retest of your eligibility, but it's not a retest. It's simply a um, uh, the ATO is trying to find out how businesses are coping through this time. Uh, so this, it is a common misconception that, Every single month, your revenue has to be down by thirty percent, but that's that's not the case. Once you're eligible, you are eligible, regardless of what happens to your turnover figures in the future. And and I guess that from a practical point of view, um, you need to be clear with you know your practice or you know whoever's doing the accounting for the practice internally or otherwise that you have the systems in place to make sure you meet those deadlines. And I know that there's a real knock-on effect here. Because if their practice has applied for job keeping and is eligible, the chances are each of the contractor doctors, you might have 30 of them, all are equally eligible too. And everybody's going to want these numbers, you know, at the end of each month. And that puts a lot of pressure on the practice manager um, and on the practice to ensure that their numbers are right and, and also that of the practitioners who they're accounting that information for in the format that they want and need. So just heads up warning, um, if you're not busy now, just make sure you have the right systems and procedures in place. So when you get a, a tsunami of um, inquiries about it, that it's quite easy for you to dispatch it. Um, we, we have a product called Doctors Pay Calculator that does it for our clients and it's a database system, it's not a spreadsheet and it's fully reconciled. Um, you might have similar systems that do that. Um, that's basically what you need to have ready to provide people at an instant um, in order to ensure there's compliance right through to September. Okay, thank you. That's really great advice. And so before we wrap up, is there any other advice that you would like to give people in light of the kinds of questions that we've been getting? I think uh, one thing that um, I think is very important uh, that we've touched on before is be sure of your structure and how your income is recorded because a lot of these circumstances uh, seem to be changing from employment to contractors uh, and having your own ABN. So it's very important that you are aware of your structure and um, how you're required to report your turnover decrease. Uh, and, and to continue with that, it means also your contracts. Are you really a contractor? Are you an employee? That's really fundamental. Um, otherwise, you could be you know, chasing you know, asking the wrong question and spending a lot of time on something that's just a fundamental misunderstanding. And we see that as being very common. I still think to this day, people still struggle with the concept, are you an employee or a contractor? Even professionals do. Um, so don't worry, you're not alone on that. Um, I, I really do encourage people to go back to that webinar uh, that um, uh, the medical public um, uh, did that was last week. Um, it does illustrate what the key issues are and we do have proper examples of legal and tax structures that might actually help clarify those issues so you can hit the ground running when it comes to 
you know, approaching advisors and they can get expensive and it's even more expensive if you're not sure what questions to ask and, and, and also that you don't have a lot of time. Um, it is more important that, you know, you're well prepared and you at least have that information at your fingertips before you approach them. Uh, just one last thing, David. I think a, a great resource uh, that's a free resource online uh, is the Kicking COVID-19 Playbook, which has been put together by the Health and Life team and David. And it has a great amount of resources there that uh, not only financial resources, but also patient-focused uh, resources as well. So it's a free download uh, and I'd highly recommend GPs have a look at that playbook. Okay, great. That was fascinating and really helpful. So thank you so much for coming in and clearing up some of the confusion around JobKeeper. You can also go and watch the webinar. You just go to our website, themedicalrepublic.com.au forward slash categories forward slash webinars. And on that note, we actually have an upcoming webinar next Thursday with David on practice survival during COVID. So David, what sorts of things could GPs learn by tuning into that webinar? I, I think um, our primary focus is, is there's a real fear that patients just don't want to turn up to the practice because they don't feel safe. And what we'll be really addressing there is how do you um, make your patients feel safe to come back? Um, those, and, and that will be a combination of looking at what sort of how telehealth services um, could be a, a way to encourage patients back and having a more of a permanent telehealth service in your practice so you can provide you know, an on-site as well as an off-site services um, so you don't lose that connection and that continuity with your patients. Um, it's very confusing and distressing both for patients and providers and practices. And it's, this is more about having a very clear vision about how you may need to alter your existing um, service offering to the patients in the community and how to do that in a practical and an efficient and an economic, economic way. And what and we've got a live case study um, where they have actually done that. And I've been really impressed with the results they've done and it didn't involve an expensive consultant. These are things that you can easily do, low hanging fruit opportunities so you can keep your doors open. Well, I can't wait for that one. It sounds like it's going to be fascinating. And you can also register for that one by going to medicalrepublic.com.au forward slash categories forward slash webinars. Okay, well, thank you again. That's it for this bonus episode of the Medical Republic podcast. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can subscribe by searching for the Medical Republic podcast on Spotify or iTunes or any podcaster of your choice. Thank you for listening.